So, gentlemen, I pose to you a question. Is nostalgia bad for fiction? Well, my most recent experience uh, wants me to say yes. Care to elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you talked about that pop shot uh, issue on your last podcast. I wasn't even um, thinking about that, but that was the nostalgia issue, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the nostalgia issue. And I, I've been wondering, because you were saying how you hated like every single story in there, and I agree. I, I've been wondering if that issue was worse because it was the nostalgia issue. That could be a possibility. That's a hard theme to write about in a way that isn't either pretentious or just bad because you can easily just go into like hardcore, like pop culture, like, you know, like, oh, the 80s and shit like that, uh, which from what I remember, they didn't do that. But I, I don't remember any of the stories. I don't I didn't like any of them. So what's your takeaway on this? Do you think and you could, you know, expand this to movies and stuff, too? It can be definitely, if not handled correctly. I think it also depends on how it uses. Like if it if it's nostalgia for just the sake of nostalgia. Yeah, or like if it's like you said, like for like a time period, or is it being nostalgia in a way of like calling back to like if you're reading like like you know if you're reading like a long series of books, mm -hmm. you know with callbacks. So like, I, like I when they have like a twenty year period between yeah. like the first book and the second book. Well, like then, Dragon Ball Super would be a good example of that. Like that's very nostalgia driven, and sometimes it's good, and then sometimes it's shit. Sometimes, yeah, it's just <laughs> overdone. Yeah, or it's just not done properly. Or that's the main focus, other than it being like a nod or a wink, you know, or mm -hmm. like a callback, other than being like the main driving focus. I don't like when the story is just about, do you remember when this happened? Yeah. Or do you remember this thing you used yeah. to like? Like that's because they just keep making movies of just uh, things that you liked when you were a kid. And for one, unless you're, you know, you just stayed at the same age, like your tastes are going to grow. Mm. So you can't just do the same thing and you're going to like it. You have to change it. Like that Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I did not really care for that because it was like, it was like nostalgia done in just like this sweet, stupid way I didn't really care for. But then we watched Clerks 3, and it was like the, it was that a part was, of the story. Yeah, it was like the whole thing almost. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, look at us reimagine something that you already watched. Like, I don't like that stuff. And the same goes for fiction. I just, I find it gets boring real quick. Of course, this, which will lead to our topic of the day, I can't say I read too much contemporary fiction to know how much like nostalgia is out there right now, but... If it's like the movie trend or TV trend, I can see a lot of people uh, write it. Because I was just thinking, like, you know, The Great Gatsby is up. Like, their their copyright's up, so now they're doing The Great Gatsby oh, 2 or whatever. It's what. everywhere. Oh, yeah, like, they did There's that. There's comics and movies and just, like, it's being used for everything now. Yeah, pretty soon they're going to be doing Lord of the Rings stuff because the copyrights will be up so that people could just write in that universe. I think there's like another like 30 years on that there, isn't it? No, The Hobbit came out in the 30s. Oh, did it? So they could already do The Hobbit pretty soon. And then Lord of the Rings, maybe that'll extend to the 50s. But, you know, in our lifetime, we're looking at people just writing their shitty fan fiction Lord yeah. of the Rings but can sell it through a publisher. I don't like that idea <laughs> at all. Uh, and you already see that with H.P. Lovecraft. Everybody's doing that, making H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu kids books I see a yeah. lot of now. It's like a weird, it's a weird subgenre, but so I will say I'm not a huge fan of nostalgia in fiction, but it's not. I mean, it's not, there's worse things. I mean, I I honestly don't come across it that much, except for in that pop shot issue. But I I mean, I also think of nostalgia in TV like Stranger Things, which is really good. Yeah, but, that's done well. Yeah, 
I don't know. It probably depends who it is, but I think it's a challenging thing to do. And I think it's also something that people want to write about when they're first starting out too. So it's probably, I mean, I think that's where a lot of the poor writing of nostalgia comes from. Mm -hmm. I don't read fan fiction, but just from the stuff I've seen of fan fiction, it's usually not very good. And a lot of the times I think it is just because uh, you know, it's like, I love Ghostbusters, so I'm going to write my own Ghostbusters story. But then you never really flex your own creative muscle to tell your right. own story. You're using something that already exists. Uh, and a lot of writers, I think, kind of get stuck in that. So everything, even if they are writing an original work, they're still writing stuff that might be based on something else that they just change the names of and stuff, uh, which is not really cool. But anyway, we have an actual topic, which I have a lot of bullet points for this. As I told Spencer off air. And he Might be the most prepared we've ever been. Nah. Nah. We prepared for... Maybe we didn't. Yeah. I was like a couple guests we had on. I was like, did we prepare for that? No, I don't think we, we never, did. I mean, we, at least we read Nick Obergon's first book when he came on the first time, but uh, like we, we had Benjamin Crossall. We didn't read his book. No. But to be fair, he emailed me and was like, hey, can I be on the show? And he's like, yeah, you know, I was like, I don't think I'm going to have time to read your book in a week because I didn't know anything about yeah. it. So I was like, hey, why don't you just send me like what chapters I could maybe read just to get the gist of it. And he's like, yeah. And he gave me like 13 chapters. Mm -hmm. And then it's like an 800 page book. I was like, yeah, no, it's pretty big. <laughs> I didn't read any. I was like, I can't do it, buddy. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, we're usually not prepared every once in a while, but it's very rare. Uh, so after this break of fun space music, we will uh, do something or other with podcasting. You are listening to the Drunk and Pen Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, as always, Spencer... The Montana Mountain Mover Church. That's clean, and you yeah. move mountains. Yeah. Maybe you're like in construction or something. Land development. Mm. Sounds good. We have a special guest today who I only learned his pronunciation of his last name seconds ago, Mr. Bryce Yole. How are you doing, sir? Good. It is a pleasure to have you, even though you were in the cold open, which I always think that's kind of awkward, too. Yeah. I don't introduce him until after you know <laughs> the, the podcast officially starts, but I don't think it really matters too much. Bryce has been... A published poet as of when was your first what would you consider your first like good publication at least not what the mm. publication was you don't have to mention that but just when well my first publication was in like 2016 or something my first good one was probably this year <laughs> like february excellent so now you can at least say you're a, a published bard you can go around town and you're, like, you say that, not in this country, because everybody in this country is pretty stupid, but if you go to, like, Ireland or England, and you say you're a published poet, people buy you a drink. At least according to the Jerusalem, the Alan Moore book I'm reading, that's, a, that's like a whole page, or a whole 50-page chapter, a guy getting drinks because he's a published poet, so I'm just assuming. So today's episode, brought to you by Squarespace. <laughs> no, never. Squarespace doesn't like us. Today's episode, we are talking about the problems in modern fiction. I know everyone's excited to hear about us bitch about books some more, which we seem to do a lot anymore. <laughs> and you know how we're going to start this episode, just because I actually wanted to hear his opinions on this. Did You listen to our Blood Meridian episode finally, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, because you also read Blood Meridian, but bailed on it, I believe, right? Oh, I finished it. <laughs> you, you, so you finished it. So you got one up on us. I got more than halfway through, and I was just like, I don't care anymore. I don't know what's happening. I skipped to the end. The judge is running around naked dancing after... 
maybe assault sexually assaulting a man to death in the bathroom. <laughs> you don't really know. It's not shown. I didn't get anything more out of it than you guys did. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one, but people were very upset that we didn't like that book. So much so that I actually said I will reread that book in the future. Just to, Like 20 years from now when you're an old crotchety man. I feel like if I'm more grizzled, because I feel like the type of person who really likes that book might have had like a hard life. Or yeah. Something bad's going <laughs> Like Something bad's happening in your life where you're just like, yeah, I really identify with this. <laughs> I, got, I like scalping children and doing all this awful shit. Like something <laughs> bad happened in your life. That's that's where you're headed. But uh, I mean, I guess you could just like overly written literary prose. I don't know. I mean, for me, I I, I almost want to reread it because like I, I came from college and like minoring in literature and getting a degree in writing and then and then everyone's saying how great this book is and i'm like what the fuck are you guys talking about <laughs> i feel like i'm missing something well i read other cormac mccarthy books that i really liked so i don't i just fully went in thinking i was gonna love that book and i was just like yeah, no me too. it's like what the hell happened but i brought that book up because while that's considered a modern classic uh, even though we didn't care for it, many, many people do, and there's a lot of podcasts de dedicated to him just because of that book mainly. I brought that up because that is like the exact opposite of what we're going to be talking about with problems in modern fiction. And these might not be problems to you guys. I just listed some of the grievances I have. You guys might think I'm completely full of it, and that's fine. Same with you listeners. Uh, I would imagine most listeners probably wouldn't agree with this. Uh, some of these things I'm going to say. but So I, I just put a some bullet points here that we could bring up. So these are in no particular order. Uh, my very first problem, which I find as I get older is especially true, I don't find a lot of modern fiction challenging. And I don't mean challenging as in like a Ulysses or a infinite jest. I just mean challenging as you can just not focus on most of the book and get the whole story still. Like you could zone out, you could fuck around on your phone, and you can still get the story. And that to me is just, that's not reading, that's like, you know, binge watching really shitty TV. I just, it could be entertaining, but at the same time, that's not really why I read fiction. Um, I'm going to kick this to you first because, uh, Spencer, you enjoy like a lot of Stephen King and stuff, which we yeah. all actually read a lot of Stephen King, but you enjoy more modern fiction than probably, well, yeah. at least I do. I read a lot of more classic stuff. Well, and also, too, with me, where it might differ and I think, uh, uh, helps it a little bit is I'm also a uh, I'm a big genre reader. Yeah. If it doesn't matter if it's like horror, sci-fi, thriller, you know what I mean. I kind of go in like spurts of like reading or you know try to jump back and forth and stuff of different you know well, kind of things. When you go into a book and you read the synopsis, you're probably thinking, oh, that sounds like a cool story. I want to read it. Yeah. Versus a lot of times I go into that, I'm trying to pick out some of the themes that might be mm -hmm. in it. I usually look up some reviews to try to get the, you know, what like the moral of the story might be or just different things that I can, uh, you know, take from the book versus just like, oh, the story sounds cool, which I'll read stories that sound yeah. cool, but that's not what I go for versus you, your story first. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty much for the most part, yeah. What about you, Bryce? What do you say, sir? Rephrase the question for me. <laughs> <laughs> I personally like to read fiction that is challenging. Challenging. Um, not Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem. Uh, <laughs> not easy reads, but not like so difficult that you just like want to like a blood meridian where you just I want to throw that fucking thing across the room. No, you 
you have to focus on what you're reading or you're not going to pick up. Like if you're tired and you're reading it and your eyes are drooping, you're not going to understand anything. Like you have to, you can reread the same page multiple times. You're like, ah, fuck, I didn't get it. But if you have a book where it's the opposite of that, you might be falling asleep just because you're not challenged and you still understand what's happening. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I, I think of, I, I'm back and forth on it, but I, I think of like how most submissions, submission guidelines limit fiction to like two to 3,000 words. And I wonder if that was always the case. And then it just got worse and worse over time. <laughs> you can tell a good, you can tell a, a good and like thematic story in that many, in that many words, that few words. But it seems like a lot of people get stuck in just fluffing it up. And it, and it turns into like absolutely nothing. And it seems like that's largely what I read of contemporary fiction now. And I mean, I, I don't even consider, okay, I think of genre fiction and it, it doesn't necessarily equate to being not challenging. I think it can be equally as good as literary fiction. But nowadays it seems to be just declining, especially with like emerging authors. I don't know. I find that genre fiction has at least reached the same level as literary fiction. Not older literary fiction, just what literary fiction is now, because people are telling pretty much the same kinds of stories across the board. Versus literary fiction is usually like character development and theme heavy, and that's about the like that's the main focus. Whereas sci-fi horror, they have to tell a story. But when it comes to the actual writing itself, the prose and the pacing and stuff like that, I find a lot of genre fiction's usually better done now uh, because they have, like, if you're writing horror, you have to be able to ratchet up tension. Mm. You have to be able to have suspense. If you're writing sci-fi, you have to be able to have a certain kind of pace. Versus literary fiction, a lot of times, it's just, it's like a slog sometimes. It's just, it's bogged down. And like you were saying, if you're writing within, like, 3,000 words, how would you even tell a proper story, like a literary story? You really can't. I mean, maybe if you're like a Hemingway or something, but usually those ones like leave you wanting so much more when you read those. And to answer your question, in the old pulp days of like H.P. Lovecraft, a lot of magazines would publish 20,000 word stories. Like oh, a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah, because I have a lot of uh, like Robert E. Howard collections, H.P. Lovecraft collections, and a lot of those stories were serialized. So you could have 10,000 word story, next issue, same story continues, 10, 20,000 words. So it could almost be like novella length and they would serialize it. Versus now... Maybe less than 1% of magazines do serialized fiction, and that's only online. I've never seen a print magazine do it anymore. And well, it's just like a dead medium now. Yeah, and most literary magazines that I've come across, whether you're accepted or rejected, do not want you to submit again until at least like a month later or yeah. something. But if you're accepted, they usually say, hey, like wait six months, wait a year. They don't want you... They don't want to have like, oh, this author's really good. Hey, let me just keep publishing their work because they're yeah. really good. Like that, like what the reader would want. The old magazines, that's what they did. If you're like H.P. Lovecraft and the readers really liked your stories. Yeah, if you sell, they want more of your stories. Yeah, so you'd see him and Robert E. Howard in weird fiction and they would keep publishing in that magazine. Or you'd see a lot of guys in like the old eerie magazines and they would have stories that, completely different stories, but they would keep, you know, getting to tell them. Like comics, how comic books yeah. do. You know, you have a comic book writer, he can write... Uh, a story arc, and he can leave, come back, and do another story arc in the same comic. Mm -hmm. uh, but for some reason, literary magazines like, nope. Once you submit, we don't want to hear from you for a while. It's like, why wouldn't you want a good author yeah. to like, like, build them up, build up? I'd rather have a handful of really good authors in every right. magazine that I see in the Paris Review versus 
a bunch of different ones that I don't like every month. Or one that you do really like, but then they only had the one story, and you can never like you could follow them personally, but you're not going to see any more work in the Paris Review. Like if you were a subscriber to that, you know, especially with how we were just saying how such few magazines and stuff there is now, it's not like like oh you could like get your get a story published for them and wait a year, but and then go to these other people to get other stories published. But you really can't do that now because there's not that many credible so especially when you get into like the literature part of it you yeah know? The, the like we were looking for like the genre ones you can throw a dead cat and find like a genre <laughs> yeah. thing to submit to and what's really annoying too is most of these magazines really poo poo you submitting to multiple the same story to multiple places like they don't want simultaneous submissions which i could get it because it sucks if as an editor if you accept a story and then the writer's like oh i've just today, this got accepted in the New Yorker. Sorry, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not right. going to be in your magazine. But at the same time, what do you expect? Like, you think uh, a writer has time to wait three to six months, sometimes longer, for you to reject them, uh, or even even to accept them? Their one story is just sitting in your magazine, waiting for you to get to it. Like, no, they should be able to submit to as many yeah. places as they want, and then have the courtesy to tell you, hey, this got picked up, but. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just don't bother to do that, but then they're blackballing themselves. But still, I just I don't like that practice either. Where it's like we do not accept some. I just don't tell them. Yeah, right? that's what I do. I just don't tell them. I got rejected by the Sun. They actually had uh, on their because it was a different. I don't think it was, it was submittable, but it was like a different form, and it had an addition where you could you have to click yes or no. Is this a simultaneous submission? Because they don't want them. It's like, well, why the fuck would I say yeah, yes? Then you're gonna yeah. not read it, like. <laughs> I don't really come across that that often. I, I think I came came across one journal that didn't allow simultaneous submissions. I, maybe it's different for poetry, but I don't know. For fiction, I've I've hit that most magazines. I think I've submitted to honestly, uh, not the genre ones, but I've been rejected by all those. Yeah. The genre ones, I don't think even read my stuff. But to move on because we'll be here all day. The next issue I have with modern fiction. You want to guess, Spencer? You're not gonna. It is the fact that they do not seem to take artistic risk in the fiction nowadays. I've come across very rarely experimental, even like Daniel Lewski, House of Leaves type of fiction. I'm sure it's out there, but it's probably self-published. Like that Life of Maggot book I read recently. That was written in a medieval modern style that was so unique. And I really, really loved that book just because it was so different. But I'm pretty sure that was a self-published book. Uh, I don't think that guy went through a publisher because publishers probably wouldn't publish that book. But that was one of the best books I read this year. And I'm just thinking to myself, why can't we take more risk in books? Why does everything have to be so uniform and kind of bland? Like we tell, like it's bad enough that a lot of these uh, writers want to tell the same stories you know, and use all the old tropes that they know are tried and true. But like we, same with movies. Like you don't get too many experimental movies that make it big because the publishers aren't looking for books that are challenging and especially artistically challenging because the reader might be like, I don't get this. I'm just not going to bother. Um, so I'll leave this one to you, Bryce, because you do poetry, which we had a discussion about some poetry just being like so over the top with how it's written that it's just like almost comical. But at the same time, a part of me is like, well, at least they're taking a chance of trying something that hasn't been tried or something that you haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that. <laughs> what, what do they call it? The like the visual Poetry, the graph, or uh, they had a bunch of weird names for like concrete or slab. Yeah. I don't remember some weird names for it. I think our what we came to is like it's 
it's i mean it's it's a new thing and it's kind of i mean it's cool in its own way and if, if anyone doesn't know what it is i mean i don't think we even have a full understanding of what it is but it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. i think what i've seen is they they have a poem in some way organized into a a painting or a graphic design or something so it's more like a piece of art in that way that i mean it's a, it like i said it's it's cool in its own thing but it's i think what we decided was it's almost not like for the the uh like the writing realm and they, it should be like it, its it, own thing. Yeah. Like, or like in an art magazine separately, it's, it's hard to get into this because I mean, I can talk about movies and stuff, but I don't read a ton of really contemporary fiction aside from what's in magazines, um, which I only started getting into lately. We were talking about Netflix stuff too. I don't know if you want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> We could touch on it if you want. I mean, I'm sure that people relate more to that than the contemporary fiction, probably. We were talking about endings. That's on my bullet points, by the way. Endings. We'll get to okay, that. Okay, you want me to keep it? Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep it for that. Um, <laughs> endings are hard. Yeah. Well, just to use an example from what I'm currently reading, Jerusalem uses a lot of like experimental literary devices. I mean, there's like a whole chapter that's written in like another language. Not another language, like Finnegan's Wake made up bullshit. But I, I like stuff like that, not necessarily because it's good fiction or good storytelling, but just one, it's challenging. Two, it makes you want to it makes you want to reach in and like really study it and like cut it makes you want to understand it. Like you want to research it. I like that kind of stuff. Because anytime I read a book, I always watch videos on the book after. I like to read reviews. I like to find things I missed. Uh, unless it's a garbage book. Yeah. Or just a boring, like a even a middling novel like uh the Sirens of Titan we read. I watched videos on that because I was like interesting enough. I wanted to know more about it. But I just think, and you'll probably be able to agree more on the comic side. Do you want to see the same comic layout in every like book you read? Or do you want to see like some more experimental stuff? Like yeah. some cooler stuff. Something that catches your eye and is original. It doesn't always land. But I just think personally it is better to take a risk than just be like everybody else. Yeah. Um, if you're famous enough, obviously you're, you know, a Daniel Steele or whatever. Like you can just go on with doing what you're doing. Nobody cares. You're James Patterson. You got the formula. You just care about making money. But if you want to tell good stories that can possibly be complete huge flops, or they could be considered one of the best ever, you have to take those risks. Uh, I find a lot of authors nowadays don't want to take those risks. And whether that's good or bad is subjective. That's just on the opinion of the reader because a lot of people like YA fiction. And YA fiction, I have yet to find any examples of any kind of experimental yeah. prose style or storytelling devices utilized in those. But also it could just be me because I don't read YA. I always have to say that because we never read anything yeah. YA. What we considered <laughs> YA growing up was like Cone or uh, not Conan, um, Sherlock Holmes and stuff yeah. or maybe the Hardy Boys. Which I don't even know if that's considered young adult anymore. That's probably considered like a kid's book. I think there's some good young adult stuff out there. I I remember my uh my teacher, my English teacher in high school, he like always made a point to read young adult fiction like on his own because it actually it's good. I mean they there's like young James Bond and there <laughs> <laughs> and we he he made it required reading one time and it was actually really cool. Well, what it always falls into is are you telling an original story and how well is it written? Uh, because I, I've found a couple lists of YA fiction. And YA fiction doesn't have to be dumbed-down writing, by the way. That's what we think of YA fiction in general. It's just fiction that's aimed at younger adults and uh, teenagers. So you're not going to have explicit sex or 
crazy language or anything like that. I mean, you could probably say some of Hemingway's stuff could be considered YA just because of the tameness of the writing. Mm. It's like, you know, the movie era before there was a rating system. Jaws is rated PG, I think. Yeah. That's not a fucking PG movie. No. <laughs> but it just was before that. So before YA existed, there was a lot of um, probably a lot of genre fiction and a lot of even literary fiction, that could, like A Catcher in the Rye. That shouldn't be a literary classic. That's a YA classic, if anything. That's a very uh, young adult-esque uh, maybe it's slight because I, I don't read YA, so I don't know how risque they can go in those books. But he get does get beat up by a a pimp and a prostitute, but it's not graphic. The most graphic thing is him just being a fucking annoyance throughout the whole book. Uh, the next thing I have, and I think I know Bryce will agree with this a little bit because we were bitching about this the other day. Characters are dull, boring, bland. Like a lot of the characters in modern fiction and in movies. You don't like a lot of times I always think of horror movies. It's like, I want that character to get killed. Like, that's what I find in a lot of the books I read, like more modern books. Like, most of the characters, I was like, I kind of don't care if something good happens. I don't care if they make it. I don't care if they win. I don't care if they lose. I just, I just want them gone. They're just, they don't stand out to me. Have you, like, come across this recently? Because you've been reading some more genre stuff lately, and I find, I I see, I can't say it because we usually don't write shit, like, read shitty books. So I don't know. Uh, that's this thing, like, um, almost every book that I've read this year, I've really enjoyed. And also, too, like, with reading, um, so much Stephen King, that's one of his specialties, is, like, is his characters, uh, and stuff like that. But, uh, I could, I could see how that could be an issue mm-hmm. for a lot of things, but, like, especially, too, like, uh, because I made a point of, uh, a lot of, uh, authors I read this year were, uh, Guys that I knew from comics who also did novels, and like that's also very character driven too. So they kind of already have that yeah. tool set, you know, honed really well. But yeah, I could see, especially like when you talk about like the James Pattersons and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, how they're just cut out characters. They could be anybody. Just change, you know, just change the name on them. Well, the easiest. Easiest example, and this is Punching Down, which is why I don't want to mention any names or anything, but every year we uh, like to buy a handful of indie authors. We do a call out on Twitter and we just buy indie books and read those, and there's a reason why we don't cover 99% of those on the podcast is because, story aside, almost all those ones that we think aren't good are because the characters are so dull and boring that you don't care what happens to them. A modern example I can use, which is probably 80s or 90s, would be surprising, is I read a couple of Haruki Murakami books last year that I, I, the main problem I have with the books is I didn't care about the characters, mm. which I usually like almost everything I read from Murakami, uh, which we even got that in that first person singular a bit because all the narrators didn't have names. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, I don't so, know this person really. Yeah, so you never were invested in what happens to them. Those are very specific in how those uh, stories were told, though. So I maybe that was purposeful. You could have a no-name narrator that still has character, you know? Yeah. But none of the characters, which Mirakami's kind of famous for having, like, these monotone, bland uh, protagonists. But the other characters in his books are so interesting, it makes up for it. But in those stories, it didn't do anything for me. Uh, but, like, I read Sputnik Sweetheart, and I didn't care about what was happening. I read the South of the Border something or other, even worse. Like, I was like, I don't. I don't care at all. And maybe that was my problem with Blood Meridian, too. I didn't care about any of the characters. The most interesting one was probably the judge, but 
I didn't even read long enough for him to become a major player. Like, right. I didn't. I didn't really care about any of the characters, especially the protagonist. I was like, I don't care if this guy dies. I hope he gets his head chopped. He, even better, he got molested in a, a bathroom or something. But, uh, an outhouse. An outhouse. Yeah, they didn't have bathrooms. They had an outhouse. Dirty outhouse in the <laughs> West. <laughs> I, I forget what a, uh, we were talking about, Bryce, that brought that on, though. Uh, was it the Netflix movies where we were talking about like the characters just being so boring that you don't care what happens to them? Maybe. I was going to ask you, to be honest. I, <laughs> <laughs> probably, because... But I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the ending thing. But <laughs> well, let me see. but I'll give you my two cents though too. Uh, uh, we were talking about Stephen King. I <laughs> like he. I, I he's generally good with characters. But man, I everyone's gonna disagree with me probably. But I read The Stand, and I couldn't give a crap about anybody in that book. And I read the whole thing. I don't know. It never felt like it was really happening. <laughs> controversial take i have not read the stand but spencer is a big fan i i personally i personally enjoyed it well the characters specifically well, that one was hard because there was so many yeah, characters so character like, overload is a thing you could get overwhelmed with the amount of characters and while each character could be well done if there's too many of them you don't really give a shit because you can't focus well, on their lives long enough well and also too because like they're scattered all throughout the country mm. so the like the first half of the book are like these characters as they slowly kind of come together so you're doing a lot of so you too might many separate narratives so, going yeah, on. yeah so you might go like a hundred pages without hearing or seeing from one of the characters and depending on how long it takes you to read that it could be very jarring or disconnecting you know i generally don't like when there's too many characters i just get I don't like to focus on that many things. I that's why I like things like the road, where it's just one or two characters, and then maybe the people they encounter, versus like you said, the stand with how many narratives going across yeah. the whole country. It's like ah, it could be a cool story, but at the same time, I probably would be like, all right, I I I'm not focused enough. I don't care, especially if you like find a couple you don't really like, and then you keep. It's like when you're watching a TV show, and uh, they because that's another thing I notice because uh, my wife's been watching a lot of. Um, it's called the good doctor or something oh is that the one with like the autistic doctor yeah he's like an autistic doctor from what i saw it seemed good but my problem with the show was i like really liked his story and then they would like most shows do nowadays had five or six in the same episode separate short stories going on about different characters that i don't care about and you have to pick and choose which ones you care about or do you care about all of them and i find the one i cared about most was the least you know, played one on the on the show. So the lead, like you got the you had to wait till the very end to find out what happens. Well, yeah, because there's the there's the A storyline, which is okay. That's kind of what we're there for. The B storyline, which, which can still be fine. Yeah, which you got some of the side characters want to give them some shine. Well, when you're all going all the way to F, yeah, <laughs> gets too much. And, and like C, C is kind of like once you get like that. Third that's usually story, the goofy story. Yeah, that's like maybe like the fun, you know. But like once you get past that, that's kind of too much. But even so, I find like there's nothing wrong with just telling the A story, and that's it. Yeah. You don't have to always have uh, all the stories, but it's even worse in fiction when they do that because then it's like, I have to read three chapters before I get back to the one I care mm -hmm. about, like the people I care about. I think uh, that was definitely my problem with that book, though, because, I mean, and especially the names that he gives them. I I didn't want to read Franny more than, like, twice until <laughs> I got sick in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, you like kind of like a couple characters and you don't see them ever. And, and it, it reminds me of that we were talking about the TV show version of that. It makes me think of like The Walking Dead. I never finished that, but when it got to the point where they started splitting off, 
Oh. And it would focus on two people for an entire episode that I would rather them die. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, 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 it was like a trick played on me. I watched the whole damn thing and for what? <laughs> well, that was like that Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. I only made it through the first two episodes. And they just, I think there was four or five storylines going on at the same time in both those episodes. And they did not nail the timing. Like, you never knew what the time period for each story was. Like, are they happening at the same time? Yeah. Why is it dark here but light there? Like, it was weird. I found I didn't care about any of them, amazingly. I didn't even care about, I didn't care about A. Well, one, I couldn't differentiate. Which one was which? I didn't know it was A, B, C. Like, they were all just garbage. And I did not care for that show, which is very unfortunate. But some people really liked it, so maybe they cared about the characters and liked that the storytelling was so sporadic. I don't know. Uh, the next one on my list, and this is my probably my biggest gripe with modern fiction, uh, because this is more of a general thing. Modern fiction is aimed at the general populace, whereas older fiction was aimed at literary academics, the wealthy, artists, etc. Like, any time in the old days you'd read even genre fiction, you had a sci-fi... Kurt Vonnegut book, that was probably towards the sci-fi crowd. That's who's reading that book. You had an H.P. Lovecraft, that's weird fiction type of people. Uh, Hemingway would be your literary um, vagabond types. and uh, Fitzgerald was your academic literary snobs. Like, everyone had kind of, they were writing for somebody. But now, I find most popular fiction again i have to broadly state this is popular fiction we're talking about because i'm sure there's a lot of books we don't know about that aren't on the bestsellers list that are great yeah like that i mean like the hike that wasn't on the bestsellers list we love that book so i i think that a lot of modern writers and it's probably through the publishing houses because we only got what four of them now yeah uh, that run everything they want their writers to cast the widest nets just like with movies and TV, it's not about telling this cool individual story that's for a very niche audience. We're going to tell a story that could be for everybody. Mm. We want one that's going to get as many people slightly interested as possible. All they have to do is buy it. It doesn't matter if they like it. Yeah, as they don't long even have they... to crack it open, just pay <laughs> for it. Yeah, so if you have a, a generic topic with tried and, you know, tried and true tropes, we can have a story that'll sell decently and then we can make another and another and nothing's original and nothing's entertaining because you, you know, you've read enough Stephen King, you know, not all his books were very original. No, he's, he's had some duds in there. Uh, but at the same time, I still feel Stephen King while, you know, writing for the general populace, he, that wasn't his audience that he was specifically going for that's just who you know everybody like Stephen King books that was his writing style it just happened to attract people but he would take chances Stephen King would tell supernatural stories thrillers crime noir yeah. uh non-fiction he wrote what wrote one about baseball yeah uh, that JFK time traveling story or whatever like he at least for you know he very, swings for the fence yeah uh, Neil Gaiman's another good example he covers all kinds of things he doesn't just tell the same kind of story but then we go to your James Patterson's we go to your Nicholas Sparks mm. we go to these people that are like this is what I'm writing and this is gonna get me a billion dollars and it does and that's why they keep doing it that's why they promote that stuff that's why you got so many Twilight knockoffs and Hunger Game knockoffs and every time something becomes big Every writer and their grandma wants to write that kind of book because they think, here's my chance to get as many sales as possible. And I was always of the adage that I don't write 
I mean, I would love to write to make money, mm. but I don't write to make money. If I knew I wasn't going to make any money writing, I would still write. Just as long as people are enjoying the stories. Bryce isn't on Twitter, and Spencer barely uses it. Yeah. I try to keep up with like the writing community on there, and it is so strange how everybody seems to do the exact same thing, but then wonder why nobody's buying their book. Yeah. Because they could pick anybody's book, and it's the same book. How is that marketable? Like At some point... How many Bigfoot erotica novels can there be, you know? Not enough. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not the right kind. Uh, so I'm going to kick this to you, Bryce. How do you feel on this one? Get, give me a prompt here. Okay, let's say you were going to write the next great romance novel. I'm going to pick something that all, not, yeah. none of us have great experience with. You want to come up with a story that's going to sell. Uh, you're going to write... You're probably going to read a lot of what Daniel Steele... Nicholas Sparks, you're gonna whoever's fucking popular now. You're gonna read that kind of fiction and probably try to emulate it. Or are you just gonna go? Here's a romance story I want to tell, and you tell your own story. Like, what would you personally want to do? Even though yeah, your personal story that you're telling might not sell at all. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm I'm with you. I would want to do like what what I want to do. I I mean, I don't know. It's always tempting to dabble into that. <laughs> like following in the footsteps of what whatever is actually whatever you know people are reading and and uh or watching or what's actually being consumed because you know that's where the money is but at the same time i, I i'm always uh of like advocating like actually being fulfilled yeah like, i'm not going to be doing that long term like and like nicholas sparks i guess <laughs> like i can never <laughs> ever do that i mean i don't even know how uh a man comes up with that kind of thing. <laughs> like over and over and over again. I need to switch it up. I mean, like just you got me trying dabbling back into fiction again. I've been writing mostly poetry, but then today I was like, I'm getting tons of rejections. I'm like, I got to switch up my mindset here. And I'm just like, I just went into some fiction this morning, not even having any idea what I'm doing and not having any inspiration off of anything. And it's just something that I want to do. That I know probably nobody's going to care about. It's like an authority thing too. I think writing what what your uh, what the publisher wants that would drive me absolutely nuts. I, I can't even do the work that I, I'm supposed to do <laughs> at my job every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine getting like a a book deal, like a three book deal, and then they tell you, "Hey, your third book, we want you to." Because that's where a lot of people in like the music industry go wrong. They sign these big contracts, and then all of a sudden. The industry, like whoever the producer or the not the producers, the execs are, they want them to create this kind of album with the most pop. It would be it's going to be a chart topper, but it's going to be garbage, which most yeah. popular music is garbage. And it's going to be like, that's what you're going to make. And you either you'll make a lot of money, but you're not making what you want. And people are going to look at you now as a pop artist versus whatever your original art style was. And what I think like um you have to be careful with that, too, is to like say, like, you know, Whatever the popular thing is, if you don't already have that kind of thing written, yeah. by the time you get it written, put together, published, and out, that fad could be gone. Could be gone. So I think it's best to, like you guys were saying, is to write what you want to write. Hopefully, if you're are good enough and are able to get enough work, even if it's just you know shit you have on your computer, that it's a variety enough of like, oh, like maybe all. Oh, 
uh, zombies are coming back a little bit. I do kind of have like this one zombie yeah. story that I did kind of write. Maybe now would be a good time to put it out. Well, like he brought up The Walking Dead. Zombies were so popular yeah. for a minute there that I was, you know, we're all tempted. Like I could write a zombie story, but then how are you going to make it original? Yeah. When everyone's writing a zombie story, what? How's yours going to stand out? And that's the problem. Uh, I came into this recently, actually, because you, you know, like you said about like you write it and then all of a sudden the wave goes away. You know, it breaks onto the shore. Well, I started writing my novel and I already had it outlined and set way advanced. So you knew that it's going to be like a Celtic theme story mm-hmm. and have a lot of Cel- Celtic mythology involved. Well, when I started writing that, nobody was writing that. And then this last year, there was a huge upsurge of Celtic stories and everyone was writing Irish fairy stories. And I was seeing all these videos on YouTube of Irish mythological monsters. And I was like, oh, fuck. Now do I like hurry up and rush to try to get this done and then try to, you know, crest that wave? Or do I just continue how I'm doing it, run it the way I want? I decided on the latter, and now already the wave is broken, and I don't see that many fairy stories and Irish stories and Celtic stories. So hopefully I can come out and just be kind of original again, mm. like somebody maybe like writing a good zombie story now. Yeah. Um, or I'm trying to think of like popular, like remember when Swing, big that was in the 90s, like mm. big band Swing music yeah. came back for a minute? <laughs> I, just, I just imagine like the literary version of that comes back, like everyone's writing a bunch of fucking high-waisted detective stories, <laughs> like high-waisted pants detective stories, which that's what, like Crime Noir, I would love to write that, but I just don't think I got the stamina for the... Because it's, yeah, if you're writing a bunch of those books, it's all the same kind of language and the same theme, not the themes, but the uh, atmosphere. Like, you have to have that gritty, noir atmosphere. And I don't think I can stick with that long term. Because you, I think it was you just mentioned about, like, getting stuck in, like, a genre. Like, oh, now you're th- you're this guy now. You're the noir guy or you're the sci-fi guy. And the publisher expects you to always publish that kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I would not want to be that. Like, I, that would be miserable, like, having to write the same stories over and over and over. Even if they're popular. Like, you brought up... Uh, you know, the Nicholas Sparks romance. How the fuck does he do that? Because he's getting paid a lot of money. He's a millionaire. Yeah. But at the same time, do you want to do the same? Like, it'd be boring. That makes writing a job, and I don't want writing to be a job, you know? Yeah, I exactly. want it to be my job, but I don't want it to be a job. <laughs> well, you know, incidentally, uh, <laughs> this is sort of off topic, but you're talking about the waves of, like, Irish stuff. I, d- I d- didn't think of it until just now, but my uncle actually writes historical fiction about like Irish clans. <laughs> That's he, very like, specific. He has, yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> he has, he has like five or six novels out and he just, he, he did them all in the last like five or maybe like 10 years. You have to I'm ask like, him if he had an uptick in sales the last year. Yeah, I should. That'd be interesting to know. And the other thing is I was just talking to a professor of mine and he, he randomly told me he's learning Irish. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, you just told me that like the week before that. I don't know. I mean, that, that seems like a random thing to me. I want to feel I like had... everyone's copying me because I started doing that stuff before I heard <laughs> anybody do. Or maybe it's just that once you, you know, you see a red car one time or you're thinking about one, all of a sudden you always you see, see a red car, yeah. Maybe that's just it. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't remember anybody. To, I didn't even know that Irish like was a real detailed language before I started looking into it. And that was like a year or two ago. All right. Um, next up, this will be your time to shine. Bad endings, aka no payoffs. Uh, 
not necessarily the same because no payoffs is different, uh, which it does suck when you watch a movie or read a book and then the ending is just like, nothing happened. What the fuck? Why is it so... I don't. Fuck. They keep turning the page. Like, no, they got to be another page. Like, what's going on? I need answers, damn it. Which could go into the series because a lot of people do that now because they have to have a series. Everything's got to be a series. But, like, we were talking about the Netflix stuff. You want to go into that now about the bad endings? I'll do a little bit. So, we were talking about that movie, uh, IO or whatever. IO with, uh, what was his Anthony name? Anthony Mackie yeah. and some, someone else. It was, it was so good. It was so good, like the whole time. I don't know exactly what it's about, but it, <laughs> I've had to research it beforehand. But uh, something about the Earth's like resources being depleted, and there's a hot air balloon somewhere. I don't know, but <laughs> it, like the whole time, like the the atmosphere is great. Just everything. I, they might have had good sound too, music, and then all of a sudden it's just over, and I'm wondering what. I don't even know what the point was. Like it, 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 it could have been like uh, maybe they didn't have the money, but I, that movie probably could have been like three movies long and been like this huge adventure, but it just petered out until it, the credits rolled. I really wish I did more research ahead of time because I this the same thing happened with happened to me on like three different Netflix movies, and uh, they even it doesn't even matter like who the cast is. Like I, I the one had George Clooney in it, and I expected this amazing movie because i rarely see anything with him that i don't like and i just nothing happens <laughs> sucks <laughs> well um you know who i think started that trend hemingway because yeah. almost every hemingway story i've read there's no end no it just like sometimes it seems like it almost ends mid-sentence like it just ends <laughs> and then everybody all these scholarly People were like, oh, that's br- no, what what he really meant here. No, he just didn't want to write an ending. Mm-hmm. He didn't write endings because, well, one, which I'm not a huge fan of, is the Cormac McCarthy style, which is weird because he wrote The Road. So I don't know how he goes about this, but he doesn't write things that aren't real or can't be real. So The Road, while it, I guess, can technically be real, I mean, closer to the apocalypse every day, Hemingway was along that vein where I don't remember ever reading an imaginary Hemingway story. Every story he, it wasn't so much he wrote stories as for the most part, he just wrote about people he knew and their experiences and turned it into a story. That would be weird. Yeah. I'd imagine. Like the sun also rises. Everyone in that book was someone he knew and he just changed the names and wrote about like the main character was uh, fictitious, but the rest of them were based on real people. And then the end of that book, I think the late, I forget what the lady says, just some random sentence and it's over. But because you base everything on reality, if you're writing about people you know in their 20s or early 30s, for, you know, the lost generation in Paris, they're probably in their 20s. Well, they're all alive. There is no ending. Mm. Like real life, there is no ending until you die. So how do you write stories like that? Because he's not really telling a story. You're just following these people. Which that's what I find kind of problematic in storytelling too, which I see in a lot of modern fiction, is you're generally following the characters. You're not actually being told a story. So you're not like, you know, most stories have a goal, right? The character has to overcome an obstacle. Uh, they have to, you know, if it's a it, internal issue they have, they have to, you know, I need to find my real dad or I need to get divorced or I got divorced and I need to get my life back together. There's always something. 
There has to be an obstacle to overcome, and there has to be something, some kind of goal or something you're set to get. Like in the road, you know, the goal was to find a place that's kind of habitable where they're going to be safe and live. Well, in a lot of these modern fiction, like at least what I'm reading in these literary magazines, you're just following the characters, and there is no story, there is no goal, and there's no real obstacle. It's just somebody having problems. It's like, oh, Spencer got super bad diarrhea today. Let me see how he handles that, and I just watch you all day on the toilet. Like, what the fuck Poorly. do I care? Yeah. I'm like, wow. He, he used, I like his wiping style. He squares it. That's pretty, that's snazzy. Like, who cares? Like, that's just, it's, I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I want at least a story to be told, which that's why, why you don't like literary fiction that yeah. much, because... And I'm going to pitch you two against each other here in a second. Um, you don't like, you know, your story first. You don't want a story that's not a story. Yeah. And I read a lot of Japanese fiction where it's just about, like, the beauty of nature and stuff. But that's, like, a different thing. Like, you go into that knowing that's not really a story versus, like, that story I got, I'm got. i getting published and I'm not going to name the magazine on here yet just in case they decide to reject me in the future somehow. But uh, <laughs> I got a story published and the story's more like a philosophy piece that's just kind of about the imagery and there is no story. It's a flash fiction piece, though. But that kind of stuff is its own separate thing. But when you're telling stories, quote-unquote, yeah. that are like that, um, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of that. Pitch you two against each other here for a second just because... Well, I said Spencer doesn't generally like literary fiction and literary stories. You did like Of Mice and Men. Yeah. And Bryce, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure I remember you saying you did not like Of Mice and Men. Because you're reading Grapes of Wrath yeah. now, but that's what right. reminded me of it. But I also read Of Mice and Men in early high school. That's a lot different then. <laughs> yeah. forced upon me. <laughs> Which is the worst way to get somebody to like a book. Right. <laughs> but that book did have an ending. It did have an ending. It, a bang, if you yeah. will. Ooh, that's poor taste. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, too, like, when I was talking about, like, challenging fiction, I didn't just mean all in the prose as well. Uh, I meant as in, like you know, the, the story. Yeah, like, matter. you cannot shoot a mentally disabled person now in the head and kill them to end your book now. Like, you couldn't do that. You could, but people don't so when i talk about challenging fiction that's something that challenges because like this guy's killing people like he he's not a monster he's like a frankenstein he's like a frankenstein's monster in the fact that well frankenstein was kind of a dick in the actual book i was going off the movie we did read the book and i was like nah i don't like that frankenstein monster i didn't like frankenstein either he's a jerk too um i digress what was i talking about oh lenny (laughs) you know it's one thing breaking a bunch of rabbits necks but when you start breaking women's necks yeah it's like, got to put you down, buddy. Yeah. But it's like a you know, great Steinbeck moral dilemma, which he always has in his books. Which I do want to read more uh, Steinbeck. I just, one of those things is, I, you know, the big already pile of two read books mm-hmm. is already mounting. And to just throw like a whole nother author's work onto that. Well, like what I was telling Bryce, because he said he was reading Grapes of Wrath. And I was like, oh, that's a quick read. He's like, is it? It's like 500 pages <laughs> or something. And I was like, well, yeah, it's Steinbeck, though. Yeah. Because Steinbeck's books all read the same. Like, they're like reading a Stephen King book. Um, it's a very big book. But you could knock out chapters and chapters of that, I'd imagine, because like any other Stephen King book I read, it's, you know, his style. It's an easy read. It's quick. It's not hard. You could do that with Ernest Hemingway if you don't fall asleep. Like, you could, you could knock out big chunks versus like an Alan Moore where it's like, what the fuck did I just read? I got to go back. Yeah, there's your challenging. Yeah, that's, that's more, which I, I'm, 
I'll be honest, as much as I'm liking Jerusalem, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. <laughs> I wouldn't want anybody to, like, you're going to hurt yourself. I'm not even joking. I, last night, I was sitting there. I was probably reading for, like, an hour just, like, in my in bed with my arms up, like, you know, half-cocked here. You're feeling and, the burn. Well, no, when I put the book down, I, I strained my bicep. <laughs> <laughs> so today it's been real sore right here. Like, it just, the, the for being contracted so long, holding you're that 10 pounds of book. Tear your biceps by reading. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been reading that? Uh, well, I started, what, two, three years ago in my old house. I read like 100-something pages, and then I just put it down and read 50 other books in that month, it seems like. And then uh, I only recently started, what, this month, last month? Well, uh, I think you a little off and on to get... Once I hit my 50 books of the yeah. year, or 51 or whatever I hit, I was like, all right, I'm going to finish Jerusalem before the end of the year. And... You may get halfway. Yeah. Well, the good thing about the book is, one, it's so unique that you, I mean, if you're really reading it, you're not going to forget what you already read. Even after years, I already remembered like what I was reading before. Uh, and two, every chapter for the most part up until recently had no callbacks to other chapters. It was just uh, separate stories almost, like just separate periods of time in New Hampton. Like we went back to like the 1400s and it's very, it's, it's Alan Moore book. It's fucking weird. The next one on my list, which we kind of covered already, weak themes. Ed, can you name a book you've read that's newer that really had like a strong theme, like that you cared about? You know, themes of like loss or just anything. No, yeah. because even that it was still like older. Like, um, I guess like Neverwhere, Neil Gaiman's book dealt like a lot with like homelessness, homelessness and, and just kind of like loneliness and, and stuff isolation, like that. Yeah. Yeah. But that was what, like the early nineties, early to mid nineties yeah. when that came out. So that's not really new. Maybe the newest one I could think of is when we read the hike was kind of like, you know, like a theme of family and losing your family and, you know, because he's trapped in this weird world for how many hundreds of years and shit. It's because I'm like Bryce. I don't read a lot of contemporary fiction either. But the stuff I do read, for the most part, it aren't new authors to me. Mm. Every once in a while, I try a new author, and I haven't been burned yet. Like we read the, the Chasing the Boogeyman. Like I haven't been burned by that, uh, anything like that. But you know, I'm not sure how new this is, but I've been. I mean, I've been coming across stuff lately, and I'm not like a huge fan of this theme. I, I think it's a theme, <laughs> but like addiction. I've been coming across some stuff where people actually do it well. And which is surprising to me because it seems like, like, I mean, I just hear it and it sounds tired to me, but um, I don't know if you guys heard of this. It's, it's short stories, a collection by Dennis Johnson called Jesus's son. I've heard of that, but I haven't read it. Yeah. I read it. Uh, I think last summer and it's, it's pretty good. I mean, and then, I mean, I've, this isn't fiction, but I, I've also read like one or two collections of poetry where they just, they just hit addiction like really, really well. I mean, that that's the only theme that I can think of that I've actually, it just seems like people don't, it's, I mean, it's, it usually is more just about the story than, yeah, than actually like addressing anything. It's almost like people are afraid to do that now. Well, it's funny you men mentioned well, it the might not sell. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned the theme of addiction because the first novel I outlined most of it, I was doing this years ago at the, kind of the height of the opioid epidemic here. I was writing a box. You remember this, Spencer? Mm -hmm. I was writing a, a, a boxing novel. It was a novel about a, a not an up and coming boxer, more like like think of like a prize fighter that's just like fighting for the money, you know, like a scrub. But 
the theme of the whole novel was addiction. Like the guy's mother dies of heroin and everything was going to wrap up to being like a metaphor for addiction. I didn't, other than his mom, I wasn't actually talking about addiction to like drugs necessarily. Uh, but when I was outlining it, before I started writing it, I saw so many books and things and movies and TV and everything had the theme of addiction. I was just like, I, again, like, I don't, I don't want to ride somebody else's wave. Like if I'm not doing it myself, like, so I'm, a, I'm I put that on the back burner. I do want to get back to that. And maybe that'll be my second novel. Cause I had some really interesting ideas for that. But at the same time in the planning stage, that was so long ago before I really knew how to write. Well, I'm very interested to see how much garbage I could oh, yeah. like that is actually in those outlines. Because I remember at one time, because uh, I had a cool idea that I stole from James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, where the beginning of my novel starts mid-sentence and the end of the novel was going to end mid-sentence. So the novel is a big loop. Yeah. Like it doesn't actually end. And that was supposed to be represent the cycle of addiction. Like it doesn't end because even like they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, even if you don't drink again for the rest of your life, you're still an alcoholic. Yeah, even though you're sober, yeah. you're still you're an always addict. Give, you're, you're still always an addict. addict. So I thought that was a really cool imagery just to have like as the physical text. But the problem, like I said, is like everybody's writing about addiction and stuff. But at some point, I remember changing the ending and the outline, like toying with it. And I was like, well, he had a girlfriend. What if she woke up from a coma and it was all a dream? And I'm, no, I'm shitting you. I actually wrote that. And I looked at that not like maybe a year or two ago. And I was like, fucking stupid. Like, what why the, was I, what was I thinking? What the fuck was I thinking? I'm like, what? And I remember I was like, well, probably I was thinking like, oh, that would be. You just got done watching the, Dallas. Something. Yeah. The general audience would like that better. And I was like, what am I doing? I was like, no, but I would like to touch on that again because I did really like the that idea. But again, you know, I have to see where my notes are for that. This next one is more of an issue I have. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. And I find this because I always point it out in some old, like uh, I brought up The Sun Also Rises. Hemingway uses the word rot a shit ton in that book because the one girl in there, uh, Brett Ashley, I think her name is, She's like the one of the love interests or something. She always says everything's rot. That's rot. This is rot. Like, I guess it's supposed to mean shit or I don't know. But my problem is uh, a lot of slang in modern books that instantly dates the book, which I'm finding now because I'm incorporating it in my novel. But I'm, I'm very minor because I had a party scene. I was like, well, if it's going to be a bunch of college age kids, they're going to have to use some college slang. But then I'm cringing writing because I don't talk like that. And two, I'm just like, ah. It's like, if you write the slang, it's good because the readers of today, I'm assuming you don't use slang that already is out by next. Like, remember, everyone was on fleek for a while. Nobody says that anymore. You know, but, you know, I use, if I use like, oh, no cap. But then next year that drops off and nobody says that anymore. And then my book comes out three years from now. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. That sounds so stupid. So that kind of stuff you have to watch out for because it will instantly date your book. Because even if you read like, I, I forget what it was. I was reading a short story or something from, I don't think it was Polinick. Some author from like, it was real popular in the 90s. But it used like the word dope and fat, P-H-A-T a lot. Oh. And I'm like, that sounds so shitty. <laughs> because you're using it unironically. So how do you guys feel about that? Well, remember I read that Beach Bodies thing and it was and it had like, you know, they were talking about seeing things on Instagram and stuff like that and it was just like, this is weird to me. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. 
That's a slightly different conversation, but yeah, I can see having like the modern, uh, like having social media in your story because you don't know in 10 years of that. What 50 years from now, people are going to be like, yeah, Facebook, or is that going to be super dated? Yeah. Or, or are they even going to know? It'd be like MySpace because you ask kid now, but I think my mom had a MySpace. Like they don't fucking know. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of slang for the most yeah. part. I, I I read The Institution or The Institute by Stephen King. Mm. And, that, oh man, I had such a problem with the way he, I think he feels like he has a grasp, King, it feels like he has a grasp of how kids talk, <laughs> and he doesn't. Yeah, we've <laughs> talked about that before. Like, he tries, but it's just Seven not Seven-year-old white guy taking slang he sees on Insta, or on uh, Twitter yeah. and using that in his novel is not the same as talking to people who use that slang, you know? <laughs> so bad. It just, it makes it so, like generic and like amateur sounding for someone who's been writing for how many years but here's the other end of that spectrum if you don't use any kind of slang you risk having your characters all sound not necessarily just like uh you know like everybody is speaking in perfect grammar and stuff but you get people who are sounding kind of similar because now nobody has their own specific cadence how they're talking unless you do accents or something well, it is that fine line because there's like slang, but there's also like slang that has like stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. Like what you were saying with that that one thing, like dope. If he just used dope, yeah, yeah, not so much anymore. But like you'd still understand it wouldn't be that far. But when you put the dope and add the ph fat to it, yeah, like that's when you cross the line. <laughs> so I think there's like some things you can do, or like, well, like if you say groovy, yeah. That's ironic now. Yeah. But people know, like, that's still a slang word. People just don't use it anymore. But, you know, if somebody said groovy, you'd be okay with that. Like, that's fine. But I can't even think of... Uh, you had to, we like, had a list one time, I think we covered on here, of really old slang from, like, the 20s. Yeah. That are so shitty now. We're like, we need to bring some of these back. I can't remember any of them. <laughs> but you'd have to, like, almost... You'd have to set your character or characters up as being, like... That guy who just likes to, like... Because I know, like, sometimes at work, I'll just pull out some weird random, mm. like, slang or old-timey phrase just to see if anybody notices or says anything, like... And another thing, though, there are people who you know, like, you know, some, like, uh, Gen X people in their late 40s who still use that vernacular oh, yeah. from the 90s because they just never grew out of it. So you can write characters who are stuck, but you have to cement that they're stuck in that time period, you know? If you're just using that slang... It could be, it could just be bad. I try to use minimal slang. I still like to incorporate it, but I try to use things that aren't going to, 50 years from now, a reader wouldn't be like, what the, that's so stupid sounding. Okay, grandpa. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> I read uh, a book by David Duchovny recently, and it wasn't that great, but it, it was like the same issue. It, it, I mean, he's writing like a, a couple of kids that are like all different ages, and it's like the younger they get, he the less he gets it oh. <laughs> and he just he's adds more and more and more in and to the point where this like little white mormon kid is just like and then he's trying he was trying to say like they they, they used to like live in a desert isolated and then they took the family and put them in, into like the city in california so supposedly if you do that a little uh eight-year-old or 12-year-old 10-year-old whatever white kid is going to turn into like a complete like gangster overnight <laughs> you know what that reminds me of 
Do you remember in the late 80s, early 90s when every commercial, everybody's grandma, everybody was doing the same rapping? <laughs> like you remember like they would have the remember like the Bears in the 80s did yeah. the, the what the shuffle or something Super Bowl shuffle yeah. like everybody did that same shitty rapping and it got real popular in the early 90s where if you had a movie or something you had to have rapping granny mm. like you had to have like the, who's like the character you wouldn't expect to be a rapper ooh you know Ernest the, the the dork with the glasses let's make him like rapping like I don't want rapping Ernest it's terrible but, you know, at the time period, we just accepted that was fine because rap was new. But now when you look back on it, it's just so bad to see, like, you don't want to see, like, your preacher rapping. Like, yeah. it's just well, bad. And, like, again, with, like, the dialogue, especially with, like, newer dialogue, I don't like because, like, I'll be out at the store and all, like, a group of kids talk, will be, like, walk by or whatever. And I'll hear them talk and, like, I'll understand, like, every third word. Like, it's just, like, what are you saying? Like. I don't want to sound like an old guy, but they sound very dumb to me. They sound, they, they just, I got, I'd like to think not all young people are like this. Well, obviously not all young people, but I like to think like the majority of young people aren't like this, but I deliver to a lot of schools and I deliver to the W&J college here and I hear these kids speaking and I'm just like, oh. and it has to be really upsetting at, the, at when you go to WJ when you go to the college. You're, you're spending eighty thousand dollars a year, damn it! Like, why are you talking like that? I just, I don't. You sound dumb, because that always makes me think of like those TikToks I'll see fucking floating around where it's like somebody asking like college age kids just random questions, like, "What's the capital of the United States?" And I'm like, "Oh, Michigan!" Like, just stupid shit. And it's like, are you? I know they filter out people to answer right, yeah. so they only have the dumb answers. But are people really that dumb? I just can't. I, I like to well, not believe. I, it. Like, well, just real quick, I saw this one. And it was asking this nurse and like a whole bunch of random questions. Like one of them was just like, "What are the yellow pages?" Yeah, I saw that. Did you send that to me? Maybe I did. Yeah, because I saw that and I was just like, "You don't know." Yeah, it was a questionnaire. She was asking her all these questions, like, "What? What's MySpace?" And like, "What's this? What's that?" Maybe technology is just advanced too much. That's a topic for another day. But I will say, I do not feel good for the youth of tomorrow. And I'm always sick when I hear people brag about, I've never read a book in my life. Or, uh, I never read a book. I, I haven't read a book in a year. I haven't. I read one book last year. Yay, me. And I'm just like, uh, uh, <laughs> you don't. But when people brag that they don't read. Yeah. And then they don't want their, like, they don't read to their kids. Or you don't have to read to your kids. Play a YouTube video of somebody reading to your kids, even. Because, I mean, I could be like, if, hey, like, I just, I'm not a big reader. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, that's fine. Everybody's not going to be, like you said, when they brag, like, aha, I haven't read a book in like 15 years. I'm going to be like, well, fuck you, buddy. Well, that and the fact that, like, people brag that they don't read, but then be like, well, you like read articles and stuff, like, online, right? No, you don't. You just headlines. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they literally don't read, they don't read anything. They, and you can see, like, the grammar on Facebook. Like, there's a couple of guys we went to high school with. I see them post stuff, and no punctuation, for one. It's just these big blocks. But everything is just like, I don't even know what you're trying to say. And you sat down, typed that out. I assumed you reread it. <laughs> I don't know. Who, like, the idea, like, whenever I, because my phone's shitty, which I'm getting a new one tomorrow, actually, oh, finally. Because nice. it's cracked. So it's right, cracked right across my keyboard. So I'm always, like, typing things. And then the autocorrect and everything, it fucks it up. And as a writer, I'm always just like, oh. And Bryce does this, too. He'll send, like, you know, the, the correction with the star. Yeah. <laughs> Kids today aren't doing that. They don't care. They're just send, not even ever looking at it again. 
Uh, we digressed too far. I have two more topics we have to get oh, to. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is over an hour. I got to get to these before we don't. This one, which I think could be the, the fault of some of uh, the modern writing process. Uh, and I heard, which I, I actually thought of this later, because uh, I remember like the Iowa Writers Workshops were real famous. And apparently a lot of writers came from that. But I remember Mindy was watching a show. I think it was called... Uh, Lena Dunham, that girl show uh, on Showtime or HBO uh, or something, yeah. years ago. But her big thing, most annoying fucking character. Oh but gosh. her thing was like she uh, went to the Iowa workshop and she was there. And I think everybody hated her in her writing because she sucks but or something. I don't remember. But um, it was like a very specific type of people that were there. And that just made me think, yeah, that could be one of the problems with writing. Too many authors have a uniform creative writing class style because, and Bryce, you'd definitely be able to, like, because you actually took creative writing in school. I'm sure you'd have a better idea than I do. Uh, if you're teaching a full class of people the same style, like the same, like this is, you know, how to do creative writing, would you get a lot of the same, would the people write the same kind of stuff, you think? Uh, in my classes, not at all. I had horror, I had family stories, I had, like, pedophile-esque story that had like wrestling stories they were i mean they were all wildly different and and then uh one girl tried to do flash fiction all the time and my professor hated it was I, that just because she was lazy or just because she liked to write flash fiction <laughs> <laughs> well no because he, he he had a problem with the fact that there's absolutely no character development and he's teaching literary fiction which is all about character development and so he he discourages it but see i, I mean, always i, I always so, heard and this is more about like uh, the creative writing classes I see promoted. You know, you could take this workshop for $350 in New York for a week and stuff. And then everyone goes there and, you know, you taught whatever. But a lot of the work I've seen come out of those, it's the prose that's very similar. The Like the way you write and the like... I'm a big proponent of an author's voice and being able to tell a story, not just your way, but also within your writing. Like if somebody reads something you wrote, even if it's a completely different story than the stuff you're known for, like if I was writing a romance, if they read my actual prose, they'd be like, oh, that's Caleb's writing. That's how he writes. Uh, I feel like a lot of fiction, like even when I'm just, because I like to go into like when I'm at Walmart or something, I like to go to the fiction aisle and I just read random pages of books I see and I'm always trying to point out, like, how is it written? Yeah. And a lot of the times, it they could all be interchangeable. Like, they seem exactly the same to me. The last time I did that, I came up one, because usually I pick at random. I came up one, I was like, wait a minute, this is actually seems familiar. And it was Clyde Barker. Oh. I picked up a Clyde Barker. and Without I, realizing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm very hit or miss. It was actually the collection I think you sent me. He had a oh, book yeah. there that one time. But um, I picked it up, and I, when I was reading it, I was like, this sounds like a Clive Barker book, like just the way it was written in the descriptors and stuff. And sure enough, it was. And I get that with Neil Gaiman too. And then like, you know, we talk about Stephen King, that specific cadence he has to, he has his own author flourish to the way, even though it's supposed to be the character speaking or whatever narrator, you always get like the little Stephen King pops out in there. We covered in that one episode where I made up my own yeah. different artist or different writer style. It's one thing if you're telling unique stories, but I think you have to tell them uniquely too. If that makes sense. Yeah, we. I mean, I, we talked about that in my workshop classes, and I mean, it, it could be also maybe the reason that everyone didn't get so uniform is because <laughs> I'm guessing a lot of people took that class as an elective. Mm. <laughs> but uh, 
And so they probably just didn't give a crap and they were rating whatever they wanted just for the grade. But I think my professor encouraged finding your voice, not just writing what he wanted you to write, like actually trying to get into something that you that you relate relate to and mm-hmm. do it in your own way. I remember specifically in workshop, we would talk about how every story has already been written thousands and upon thousands of times. So if you're writing the same story again, be aware of it and do it the way or do it in a way that's yours and not just like I said, right, in my work, yeah. just writing like Shakespeare all over again. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think maybe like the academic side of that is different because you're actually taking a class versus when you're just paying money to do one of these mass creative writing workshops that people do yeah, uh, because do those people really give a shit your professor probably yeah, gives right. a shit he probably wants yeah. you to be a good writer he probably wants you to be an original writer he wants you to succeed does a fucking creative writing workshop you know whoever's hosting those really care they, they're getting paid to do that they're probably saying i don't care i don't know these people i'll never see them again so maybe that's more along the lines where i heard that from versus the actual school system but uh, that's something I want to look into more because that is interesting to me. I have one more uh, to wrap it up so we don't completely shit on modern fiction here. And I don't know how much we can actually discuss this, but selective bias. Uh, we compare modern fiction to the best classic fiction, but the reality is that many awful authors of old have faded away. Uh, we are comparing modern fiction to your Fitzgeralds, your James Joyce's, Hemingway's, even you know your Michael Moorcock's maybe for going genre fiction. But we're not comparing them to all the people who are just really bad at writing that got published that we never heard of again because they didn't stand the st- test of time. So well, they might have even been really good writers and still didn't. Yeah, I mean that happens. Like Julius Long had that one, the Pale Man story was really really good, but he only had the one story, and I found out he actually had a bunch of other stories. He just never took off, which is really weird when yeah, that happens. Wait, that that was uh, Kafka, right? Like no, no, the Julius Long. He, no, was, no, but I'm saying Kafka was like the same thing, right? He didn't really get. That was after he died. He yeah. took off. Yeah, he actually wanted his work destroyed. I think it was like his brother or somebody you know didn't destroy it but i think of even if you look at modern fiction because i I think we're talking off air so you got like blood meridian from the 80s uh that's obviously considered a modern classic but you know beloved by tony morrison but how many books from the 80s didn't stand the test of time that you don't remember thousands and thousands and thousands there's probably there's way more books that you don't remember or never heard of from that time period 80s 90s even now versus the ones that are going to be considered classics 50 years from now. You'd probably be the one to ask about this because, you know, you read a lot of, like, Stephen King and stuff. Who would you compare a Stephen King to? Like a H.P. Lovecraft, right? Maybe, yeah. I mean, you'd have to go by his pulp, uh, like, the, his uh, pulp writer influences. So maybe, like, a Robert E. Howard, those types. Uh, maybe Raymond Chandler to a degree. But you're not comparing to a bunch of bums that you don't know about, but you don't know if he read a bunch of bums that he liked because when he was coming up, they might've still been in print. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, like we talk about the hike by Drew McGarry. We both really liked that book. Ashley really liked that book. 50 years from now, probably nobody will ever hear of that book. No, nobody will know about that book. And it's not because it's a bad book. It's just because it's not one of those books that stood out above the rest. Like, uh, uh, like Colson Whitehead, who just didn't get the spotlight, yeah. shined on it, because that's a that's a big factor too. Like your book can be amazing, but if it's not getting the outlet that it needs or or whatever, it's you know, which goes against you know back to our 
Are you writing for the general public to be popular? Or are you writing? But how many James Patterson books are going to be known in 50 years? Uh, hopefully none. <laughs> I mean, I guess this stuff isn't really important unless you're like one of those people who want to have a legacy as a writer. I would like to have a legacy. It'd be nice, but at the same time, I just want to get published at this point. So, you know. <laughs> um, Baby steps. <laughs> yeah. I'm really contemplating doing like international writing because people outside of this country actually do read a lot. <laughs> and like, I would like to get, you know, Trying to think who it was, I forget, but there was like a lot of musicians who didn't know they were they were like had one hit or like barely any music, and then they found out they're super big in Australia, yeah. so they just start touring over there and they just got real famous and nobody here knows them. Um, or like you remember Hasselhoff in Germany, yeah, <laughs> it's like just weird <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, I don't know. I just think uh, I don't come across modern fiction that I enjoy that much because I was going through that phase where I was reading a lot of the Pulitzer Prize winning novels. Or like international Pulitzer Prize winning novels, and which I never understood because that's like Pulitzer Prize is an American award. So then you have an international. Uh, but anyway, or like you go through like the Nobel Prize winning list. But a lot of these writers I read, I'm just like I don't. This isn't nothing. This isn't anything. This is not good. It's not what I would consider good. This is mediocre at best. But somehow it's winning awards and shit. And a lot of times that goes with the subject matter, um, which we I'm not gonna reiterate this, but we talked about. Um, like the banned books list, a lot of those modern banned books were all the exact same subject matter. Mm. So I'm thinking it's like, well, are we rating books on their quality now or are we rating them on their subject matter? That's a completely different story because now, you know, it could be a bad book, but if it's touching on something that's a hot topic right now that people are really interested in, it might win awards, but that doesn't actually mean it's good. Yeah. Um. So any parting words, fellas, because we're like an hour and a half and I have to edit this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would just go with like, and we've talked about this in previous issues of uh, of what is good or not. It's all kind of a subjective, suggestive and a personal opinion. So don't feel like you need to read something because somebody else thinks you should or don't read something because somebody, you know, just read what you like and you enjoy if that's. If that's genre fiction, if that's literature, like just whatever floats your boat, just enjoy it. As we learn from our classic lit group, if you don't like the classics and you read Stephen King, you're a fucking jerk. Yes. You're a hunk of shit and you should die. Waste of space. Those old white people got so angry anytime <laughs> someone brings up Stephen King saying he has any literary merit and I laugh every time and... I like to bring very obscure writers like Martin Okayan in because then they act like they know, but they do not know because I'm like, ha, I tricked you. That book I pub- posted hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> um, yeah, that's besides the point. Anyway, I say, folks, you know, do what you like. Oh, wait a minute. I'm completely forgetting. I can't let you off the hook, Bryce. You had because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be here. For the, because I don't think we did this in the cold open. Bryce got stuck in traffic. He's supposed to be our first in-house guest, but now he's on my shitty Chromebook, like everyone else. <laughs> like all the others. I had to dig my old microphone out of the fucking dumpster, and now he's not even here. Uh, but you had some poetry you wanted to read, and also stuff to promote. I don't want to forget that before we actually leave. Yeah. So, starting a writing workshop. Um, it's mostly for uh people local to Pittsburgh. Creative Writing Workshop of South Hills. Um, it's free. Anybody can join. Just email the word join to your, in your subject line to shwritingworkshop at gmail.com, and we can get together and talk about improving each other's writing for uh, poetry and fiction. 
And it should be noted, uh, so far it's just going to be remote for the time being until we get a large yeah. enough group. So if you do not live in Pennsylvania even, you can. It just might be tricky time zone. You know, if you live in California, on your end it might be a little hard because we're going to record, or not record, but uh, have the workshop at the same time. Uh, you wanted it every other week? Yeah, it'll well, it'll be the first and third Wednesday uh, of every month from... 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And if you do want to also contact us, you could at drunkenpenwriting at gmail.com. You could email us too. I could send you more information on the workshop if you would like to join. Uh, and I can send that over to Bryce. You want me to read? You can if you'd like, sir. All right. You me, us. Hey, when I edit this, do you want me to add like really inspirational music to it? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I can do that. Just a bunch of fart noises. <laughs> Just Please ruin it. Think. I'm not taking that guy's workshop. He's farting on camera. I don't like it. <laughs> All right. So this is a poem from uh, what I, I hope it's going to be a chapbook of mine. That'll be my first chapbook to come out. Uh, it's called Airplane Graveyard. You keep dismantled wings of remote control airplanes in the rafters of the garage. You say some might still work, but who could know? You say they can't fly any longer because nowadays they cause interference with commercial jets. And I believe you as a boy, but not so much anymore. What would really happen to us? Should we reattach those wings and motors, fill the gas, and lift them into the air? I guess we would freeze up in knowing I never learned how to land. And you'd fear these balsa wood toys would be destroyed along with the post-war childhood you invented for yourself to cope with coming home. Not to worry. They're still up there, hung like the poorly buried dead. Golf clap. Or no, we got a oh, yeah. snap. Is that what they do in poetry? I've never been to a poetry. I assume they snap. Well, isn't it like the jam, like the poetry jam? Def jam kind? poetry. I'm a big fan of slam poetry. That's what <laughs> I know. You got to hit every syllable real hard. I would like to have you on when you're, well, assuming because you're going to submit your chat book, but even just when... You know, you have more of an idea what you're doing with it if you get accepted somewhere or if you're going to publish it yourself. Whatever you're going to do with it, I'd like to have you on to actually just talk about the chapbook and, you know, some of your poetry more in depth because, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, Spencer's not real into the poetry. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a poetry dumb. And Ashley doesn't generally like contemporary poetry, and I've been trying to understand it as of late, and uh, I would like to be able to speak with someone for an extended period of time, who actually yeah. knows what they're talking about a little more than... Uh, because I always worry, too, because if I do like a call-out for poets and get somebody on the podcast, they might be like one of these uh, you know, people that are talking about like Fruity Pebbles and all this weird shit, yeah. and I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about, and I feel real dumb. Because <coughs> I am not that knowledgeable. When I took that uh, Joey Harjo um, poetry class, when I did the beta whatever, I don't know, beta watch for it, I guess, or... I was a focus group man uh, for that on the master class. A lot of the stuff she was talking about made sense to me because she broke it down in a good way. But then at the same time, a lot of the stuff I'm just like, this is kind of like gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't really care. So I, I don't know. I Maybe I'll always be a poetry dummy, but I'd like to write. I got the Walt Whitman collection I'm going to start reading. So hopefully that elevates me more. Dylan Thomas has not been doing it. Robert Frost did not do it either. I was so bored by that collection. I just didn't give a shit. Anyway, uh, we thank you for coming on, Bryce. Uh, again, that is shworkshop at gmail.com. 
Uh, writing workshop at gmail if you want to hit them up and join our fabulous writing workshop we already had one and i had the best story ever written about the mm. people drinking lsd off of the toilet water that ran down the statue of the virgin mary Maybe that, was, that was classy so so anyway, go up from there. Keeping it classy. I was really hoping some other people would have like some poetry they could like because I would like to review it, find out how bad I am at reviewing compared to other people, <laughs> and then uh, you know give like some better critiques and just you know think that'd be fun. But anyway, folks, we thank you for listening. Uh, if you are interested in Spencer's OnlyFans, he is the Montana Mountain Mover this month or week or whatever. Is that right? Week was that it? Montana something like yeah. that. How, what kind of OnlyFans is that going to be? You have to describe to find out. Oh. Are you actually moving mountains, or are you just like dumping dirt on your naked body? Because that's a little creepy, but... <laughs> Let's just say I make mountains out of molehills. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you want to follow us on the old social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we are at DPW Podcast now. No longer drunken pen writing. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. Just DPW Podcast. Uh, we thank you for listening, and we will check you next time.